What's up, Pipe fans? You are listening to the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is TGIF December 28th, 2018. What's up, guys? My name is Gabriel. You can follow me at Double G on TV. I'm joined by the always lovely, always amazing, often imitated, never duplicated Miss Kayla Lady. <laughs> Hi, G. Happy Friday. Hi, MMA fans. How are you, G? I am fantastic. I've been waiting all week to talk to you. It has been so exciting. But first, I know I wished you last week, but happy belated Christmas. How did you enjoy the holiday? <laughs> happy Christmas to you, too. Um, my Christmas was really chill. I was just at the beach. You know, I'm from California and... Um, so, and my family's all local, so I see them so often. Um, so everyone kind of did stuff with their significant others. I just went to the beach and chilled with my friend. Um, a very chill Christmas. We actually, the only thing that was dramatic throughout the day is we forgot to go grocery shopping and we were trying to figure out a restaurant that was open. And it's really hard, G, on Christmas. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? <laughs> no, I, how was yours? I had a very chill one, also. I had a very chill one, and um. We actually ended up watching quite a few fights at home. We are okay. not, um, we are not a very homebody. Or sorry, we are not a very homebody Christmas. We are not a very homebody family. My, um, yeah, we don't like to just sit at home all day. And Christmas is like the one day of the year where you're really forced to do that. So it's a challenge and a struggle for us actually. So um, we put on a lot of fights to keep us entertained. We watched some boxing. We rewatched some Max Holloway, Brian Ortega action, and we made it work. But yes, I was thinking of you, and I sent you some well wishes, and really just a nice one for all of the MMA community, so I'm glad that we enjoyed it. Kayla, can you believe we started at the beginning of the year, and already it is the last show of 2018, just uh, the last events of the year, just wow. Yeah, it went by fast, especially these last couple months, which usually happens, um, you know, when towards the end of the year, it feels like it just speeds up. And what a way to finish the year. It's very traumatic as far as the UFC's last fight of the year. I mean, isn't it? I mean, guys, let's get it started. This week's episode, New Year's Eve Madness. Also, disclaimer, stay tuned to the end of the show. Kayla and I will have something that we'll be announcing to you guys. And, uh, you know, but that will be at the very end. But I just want to let you guys know to stay tuned if you're, especially if you're a longtime listener and follower of the show. But let's get it started with the big story. UFC 232 relocated from Vegas to L.A. due to the John Jones test results. I mean, Kayla, um, it would be beating a dead horse to go over everything. By now, everyone knows about the test that John Jones didn't fail, but still has some of that substance, the Ball in his system. Uh, you see Nevada and California saying that they believe it is from his original infraction, not because he took new stuff, but they are moving the whole enchilada on six days' notice. Guys are still weighing in right now. I mean... How do we, uh, I mean, just reaction, because I think I told you, the, I think I was the one who broke the, no, the news to you, but you, you did. tell me, how do you feel about it? You did, you did. Um, 
or what was your reaction? I think first of all, because it was crazy. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of, again, just disappointed. And to me, this is where I threw my hands up in the air with John Jones. Um, you know, and before I watched the press conference, which kind of infuriated me, we'll talk about it. Um, I, you know, before the last couple of times, there's a little sympathy, a little compassion for him. And at this point, I kind of just have my hands thrown up in the air because it's just, it's too many, you know, red flags, mistakes, whatever, you know, the case is, whether he did, you know, take something again, or it's just leftover stuff. It's like, it's too many times in a row. Um, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous that the UFC and him, if there's any chance for him to like have something pop up in his system, then don't have him come back this fast. You know, I just feel like there's other fights they could have scrambled to make other people they could have paid to make. I know it's the John Jones name, but you know, it's, it is, it's ruining his career. It's ruining the UFC's reputation. And then when he broke the news to me that they were actually changing the whole location of the card, that's kind of the, you know, what really upset me just because we know what a fight week is like. We have made friends with, you know, people, athletes in the community and know everything that it takes to get up to fight day and to have this relocation and just kind of, you know, throw everybody off for one person. I just think it's so ridiculous. I don't support it. I think it's a really bad mood for move for the UFC and the new owners. Um, yeah, I have a lot of negative negative feelings and thoughts about it. What was your first reaction, G? I mean, I read it and I was just really in shock because he obviously processes like, wait, did he really just, you know, pop dirty again? Did he, you know, is UFC really doing this? Like, oh, they, they decided, um, and at first I thought they're canceling it. And I'm like, they're canceling the whole thing because they don't think Cyborg and Amanda can uh, deliver. <laughs> so you process all that and then I read and I want to get the right information I thought they were moving it like literally they're just going to move it to a later date, you know, coming up soon. And I'm like, then they, you realize, no, they're moving the entire thing on the same schedule. And I'm like, over the holidays and what, you know? Um, so obviously there was a lot of shock and like confusion because it's like, wait, what do you mean you are moving the whole thing? What about, you know, all the intangibles? And, um, you know, G, go ahead. Just to start here, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's it's during the holiday season for some people. And, you know, to talk about the Comey event, these are two ladies that have struggled with weight, you know, in the past. And this is for their titles. John and Alex don't have a title yet. And to move something around for a former champion who is stripped of his belt be- with cheating, you're going to put two ladies title fight, super title fight you know, in jeopardy as far as making them uncomfortable with moving around and preparing for their weight cut differently. Like, where's the respect for the champions, the current champions? Yeah, and and I want to talk about that because I want to talk about the UFC's decision and then I'm going to bring it back to John Jones himself. And so the first one for me, um, I actually think that all things considered, there's more to blame on the UFC for this one than John. Yeah. They asked John essentially, hey, do you want to still fight and get paid? Okay, we're going to L.A., period. That was the story. So John is kind of going along with someone else's decision. Now, I do still have some thoughts about him. Let me make it clear. But I want to point that out. That's how I am watching this unfold. 
for me, the thing that bothers me is that it is the holiday season. It is New Year's Eve weekend still. And you're talking about a lot of fans who have been left out money with hotels, flights, car rentals, etc. over this move that the UFC is doing to accommodate one person who has yet to prove he can stay clean in the last several years. That, to me, was just the most mind-boggling because the UFC has plenty of events coming up. They're going to be back in Vegas in March if it's really about rescheduling it. And yet you are deciding that the money you are going to lose and the risk the hit and the insult that you're sending to your fans, you're saying that your reputation is going to survive this for a guy that hasn't proven he's clean yet. And I think that, to me, was the biggest thing. It's like... You do that, you, you mentioned the fighters, and I agree with you. you got a lot of men and women. You're still expecting them to make weight, even though you're doing this to them. And you're still expecting them to deliver, even with all this extra stress now that they've had during fight week. That's one thing. But to do this to the fans who, let's be honest, if you got tickets to the 232 in Vegas, you're probably planning to do some Vegas stuff after the fight. That's how these things work. Not that L.A. doesn't have its stuff, but it's a big difference, plain and simple. So to do this to the fans on top of your own fighters who weren't even notified, they were notified through social media, pretty much all of them, that to me was just, uh, I don't, UFC is, this is the biggest hit I think they've ever done to themselves. And it's. Yeah, and I agree, G. I think, I'm so glad you brought that up because I don't even think, you know, for any of our listeners that, haven't been to Vegas um, or aren't aware of like how expensive hotels and all that are not, they are not only during fight weeks, but especially the holiday season. I mean, those flights, those hotels, all of that is so expensive. Like you said, um, you know, I think Errol Hawani had shared like a fan who it was his first UFC fight. He bought the tickets, you know, as a holiday present to himself. And, you know, was sitting there look asking for help because he's saying, I don't know how to switch flights around. I'm going to lose money. I mean, that's what I'm saying is I don't know if it's the new owners that just kind of don't understand the passion that fans have for the sport, um, how this can be just so detrimental to them. But they really, I think, dropped the ball with this. They've upset a lot of people. And they continue to keep upsetting people. I will give it to them. Thank God they pushed the way in time. But yep. even that's messing with people that, you know, were able to still make their weight and stressing them out of where their opponent's going to be, you know, come actual fight night when they, you know, the cage door closes, um, octagon door closes. But it's just, it's such a mess. Yeah. And by the way, that was in UFC. That was the state of California and their athletic commission doing it. Um, yeah. yeah, to me, it's, um, look, I, I don't think there's any easy... blame. Yeah, there's no easy, there's no way I'm going to sugarcoat it. If John Jones tests positive Sunday morning, the UFC's reputation really, there's not going to be words for saying how much the UFC is going to take a hit. They're already taking a hit, but this one really is like, it's a difference between getting hurt and then like a movie getting shot and falling into the open grave, Kayla. That is how bad they are going to get burned if John Jones were to test positive for something. That is the risk they are taking for a guy who, I'm going to just say it, if I'm a company, I don't have that kind of confidence in John Jones right now. He's already had two chances 
you are putting a lot for a guy who hasn't stayed clean yet. And now I want to talk about him. And um, I'm not going to say I'm a scientist and all that. And I did. I'll be honest, Kayla. I got carried through high school chemistry. And that's about the furthest I ever went. But when you're talking about, okay, the grain of salt in the Olympic-sized pool, that was his original, you know, infraction, right? That he barely had any in July, but he got popped for it. How is that still in your body after 18 months? And they, I know there a lot of experts are saying it's not exact. The picogram is the term being thrown around a lot. But I'm just saying it's like, okay, you didn't take it for real. You got something tainted, so you're not getting like a full dosage of it. And yet there's still enough in your system that it's still there. That, to me, looks fishy, if I'm being honest. And then really John Jones' attitude. I understand he probably doesn't want to keep answering it after UFC and USADA said he's clean. And on one side, I get that because you're only going with what other people say. But he is being very nonchalant when you talk about all of the people inconvenienced for his benefit. I think I'll just say it bluntly. I know that you got he's already heard everything in the book about him, but that's just disrespectful to be smiling this much when you know this much happened to so many people and um... I agree. And you know, it it was said how John Jones went around and was apologizing to all fighters, um, you know, still on the card. I haven't seen many fighters speak up and say, you know what? I forgive him. It's cool. So it's like, whether they're still just pissed and don't want to hear it, or, you know, maybe his apology wasn't sincere, but I have to say, gee, I started to try and watch the press conference and very early in, I I had to turn it off. And I mean, you know, I'm kind of like phasing out of the sport, whatever. Um, But I just, like you said, the smile, the smirk he has on his face. One, he didn't even listen to what Alex had actually said and went on some tangent, um, you know, that made him look real foolish. But, um, you know, we've had this discussion Remember when Rhonda was leaving and like you had said, journalists, fans, they want to hear from her. People were upset that she wasn't doing media in her last fight. Um, You know, I had kind of, uh, I guess, uh, took one side of it of like, all right, well, maybe she doesn't have to explain herself that much. She's made these decisions. She's given us like, you know, enough of what she's wanted said to explain why she is leaving MMA. John Jones now has had, too many times where things have come up like this too many times in a row um you know like you said they haven't really done this before of changing a whole car location for one person so in in your press week which you know media didn't even get a regular media week so you only get the press conference this is where you have to answer those hard questions because you might have you know addressed it on twitter or maybe to a couple journalists Uh, you know, off camera, but this is when all the fans are tuning in. This is when the people are tuning in to decide if they're going to buy the pay-per-view. You need to suck it up and be an athlete, especially when the, you know, um, companies have given you this opportunity to move the whole location for you. And you need to answer these questions and not be offended by it, that people want to hear it out of your mouth and an explanation or out of Dana White's mouth. So I was so turned off by how they were acting in that press conference. And I mean, this is just 
another reason of the disrespect and unprofessionalism that I see in MMA that like it really turns me off to where I don't even know if I want to support the fight on Saturday. Yeah, um, the one I want to bring up is the incident that got a lot of traction with uh, Isabel Kustik of uh, Kimura, Sweden. She went out there and she asked uh, essentially John, like, you know, this is the third time that we have a big event that's shadowed by the fact that we're all, all we're talking about is whether or not you're a dirty fighter. And not, <coughs> sorry, not only did he shoot her down, but he actually um, incited the crowd against her and was saying, you know, next question. And someone and he went on to say, you know, somebody boo her better journalism, ask better questions, you know, sit down. And in my mind, I was like, John, you know what? I, and then on the one hand, she did come at him, you know, a little aggressively. I think she did say it with a certain level of opinion. He mm-hmm. was also probably a little aware that she's probably from Europe there for Gustafsson, you know, not supporting him, but, you know, it's a home country kind of thing. And yet, you know, in my mind, I'm like, John, she is only asking you what everybody is thinking since Sunday afternoon. You and needs to hear from you. Yes. So you may not like it. I know I wouldn't. But she's only asking what everybody's thinking. And for him to, you know, if you don't want to answer it, I, you know, that's one thing. I'm not saying that's right, but that's one thing. To incite the crowd and to kind of shame her and try to get your fans against her. That was just a, just so much poor taste. And I, I was even more disappointed in it because I feel like, John, you know, she's only asking what everybody's thinking. You may not like how she went at you with it, but it's not. Let me tell you something. Ariel, Raimundi, Okoro, all the big names are asking the exact same question. They're just, Mm -hmm. you know, not doing it in the same language she did. And that's just, yeah, that's really the one for me that was like, come on, you know, this is really something. And I've heard a lot of journalists say this might be the craziest press conference they've ever been to. And that's saying something. Yeah, it's just turning into such a circus. And I think that it starts at the top. Like you said, it's not even necessarily Jones. I mean, of course, he's playing a big part in all of this, but it it's really goes down to the bosses who are making those decisions. And it, what it is, is it's favoring the bad kid um, because he might be the most popular in class or because you just don't want to deal with him, so you just kind of give him what he wants. Um, but I feel like why, why, even if there are fans that are still supporting him, and like you said, we're booing the journalists and are still going to tune into pay-per-view, do you really want to have those fans be the ones that you're catering to instead of the fans, all the fans you're going to lose after switching up the location where they're flying out to Vegas for you? I mean, I just, I I don't like where the sport's going and who they're trying to draw, I guess, in. Because I think those people are the ones that are really only tuning in for these big fights and probably just tuning in to see if John Jones gets knocked out or if a cheater can get away with stuff. And I, I mean, you know, I don't even really necessarily want to call him a cheater, but just he has that, that image and that that dark cloud hovering over him. Um, and I just think that you are drawing in and asking for the attention of the wrong type of fans. And it's probably going to hurt them in the end because I bet they're not watching the fights every weekend. 
I think final point I want to say on it is that UFC is keeping John at the end of the day because they believe he will still deliver big for them on pay-per-view. They want to make this a still super event that stays on um, <laughs> with the controversy. I, I do believe that, um, look, Sorry. you're talking about it's all good. New Year's Eve weekend. Numbers aren't going to be as high. Um, the Ronda Rousey one was, I think, very tough one. But even John in the middle of July couldn't break the million mark. I don't see him, even with Chris and Amanda on the undercard, I don't see them delivering some big, huge number. And now with the controversy, I'm not, you know, look, uh, there are plenty of fans who were only going to buy the pay-per-view anyway. But I do still think that there is going to be that residual effect that some people are not going to pay the money. Also, you're coming off the holiday weekend. Not everybody wants to spend more money. They probably I spend- saw that people are, are uh, predicting it to be the most illegally streamed pay-per-view, which is messed up. But it's also like there's... Um, I'm not surprised you know, when I hear that. Humor in that. That is a that is a very real part of our business. That when you mm-hmm. have events like these, that's what happens. I know the Deontay Fury Tyson Wild. Uh, sorry, Tyson Fury Deontay Wilder fight. It was, they only had like two hundred thousand um, pay per views. It technically, you know, barely broke even. But so many people were interested that they streamed it illegally in the millions. And I was like, dude, really? You know, so I wouldn't be surprised. That's part of our game. But, um, yeah, uh, I, I just don't think it's going to deliver. I think that they are putting a lot of eggs in the basket that I don't think are going to hatch, plain and simple. Um, we could talk about it all day, but we do have a lot of other stuff going on. Our next story, this one, you know, nobody controversial, just another good fight. Holly Holm versus Aspen Ladd, a.k.a. the new fish against the old shark in the division. Um, You know what? Life is sometimes a rough sea, isn't it, Kayla? You have this great career. You're a former champion. You shocked the world. And now Holly Holm, rather than a title shot, She's in a very risky fight against young Aspen Ladd. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, competitively, it's a it's a fun fight to watch. I don't really understand what Holly Holmes kind of getting out of this. I mean, of course, if she can shut down Aspen Ladd, it's just another, like you said, young um, fighter kind of creeping up behind her back or she won't have to worry about as much um, to steal that title shot away from her. But um, I I do think it's a very uh, high risk, low reward for her. Of course, if Aspen Ladd can get a win over her, it's a big, a big win. Um, But yeah, I guess I'm just kind of confused as where the incentive is for Holly Holm, unless she's just getting paid well. To me, I just wants to compete. Yeah, well, remember, she hasn't fought since June. Amanda Mm -hmm. still hasn't fought. So even if she were next for the title, you're probably thinking you may not even get a title shot till, you know, June, July of next year at the earliest. So if you're Holly Holm, I I get it on that point. You know, there's waiting, but then there's ridiculous and you want to stay active. Um, That being said, Aspen Ladd, like you said, high risk, low reward. I mean, (laughs) she's lighting it up. But that's in Invicta. She barely had her UFC debut. And even though she looked great against Tanya Evinger, I can't say that, you know, that performance 
puts you in a fight with someone who should be challenging for the Bantamweight title. Now, that being said, we've said it many times. There's hardly anyone at Bantamweight anymore. And Holly has already lost to Jermaine Durandamy. Ketlin Vieira is still out with injury. That mm-hmm. really there was nobody left for Holly to take on. That maybe she feels that Aspen is a good tune-up to keep her, you know, in shape and ready and waiting to see what happens with Amanda when she comes back. But I think to me that that was just really the only thing is that it would be too long of a wait and she just wanted to get back in there and fight before it took too long. So I think that's and really what it is. we don't know, you know, again, we're always wondering about the future of 145. So instead of waiting to see if she could get something booked there, I do think Holly Holmes in a very... um to me, like, I think a very cool position of, look, obviously she's had a high of her career, really low, low, um, you know, and then she's, she's kind of jumped around and faced another young fighter in Megan Anderson, which everyone was thinking, you know, she would have a really rough time and she fought really well and showed her experience and, and grit over that fight after facing some, some tough ladies. So, you know, maybe she just has this confidence running of like, oh, everyone's telling me I should be worried of this young girl, Aspen Ladd, but she's already kind of faced, you know, um, a lot of tough competition in the recent year or two that I'm sure her confidence is up as well. No, I agree with you. I think that, you know, Holly has a lot of reason to feel good. I think that um, when you think about it, she moved up to 145. She's not a big bantamweight as it is, to take on someone, to take on Chris Cyborg, mm-hmm. that one, and then she didn't really perform badly. I think you got to acknowledge the fact that she hung in there with the best 145er of all time and easily the most explosive athlete at 140. Then she beats Betcha, Co- or she had that win over Betcha Cohea. She turns back Megan Anderson. Holly Holm should be feeling good, and I think that this one, respectfully speaking, you know, with everything going on, it's not out of the question that she just coasts by Aspen Ladd and she's ready for a title shot again. I think that that is a very real thing that could happen. So maybe in that way, even though it feels like a high risk, maybe she feels like it's a safe opponent to fight, all things considered. Yeah. But yeah, it'll be interesting. That one happening in March on the Return to Las Vegas card. That one is going to be very interesting to see how fans react if they have a lot of confidence to come to Vegas for the fight but that'll be a discussion for another day but Kayla so we're gonna have two parts of our end of the year awards especially for fans so this one we're gonna do some finishes next week we will do things like the fight of the year and the fighter of the year so we will have some you know those big ones but let's get it started with the first end of the year award Kayla, ladies first, who was your pick for knockout of the year? Well, though there were many amazing knockouts, um, I picked AJ McKee versus John Macapa. And the reason why is I think that it was, one, I think that I want to bring up the fighters that I think are kind of flying under the radar. And we've talked about this. We feel like AJ is very deserving of a title shot at this point. Yes, we know him personally, but it just shows that we, you know, have a little bit more insight of how hard that guy's working. Um, But the reason why I picked this specific fight is he was actually 
supposed to face Pat Curran. And, you know, with a win over more of a, you know, um, top guy in Pat Curran, they were really feeling like, okay, if he can prove himself against this guy, um, you know, then, then we'll finally give him the title shot. Obviously, that fight fell through, and I think that's why I really want to bring up this one is AJ still kept his composure, got a new opponent, you know, with only, I think, a, what, a week or two? or It was a very short They're like time. three weeks, like yeah, no more to, than three. To change things up um, and, you know, to just still kind of, again, deal with the whole change respectfully instead of, you know, having a temper tantrum like other, you know, fighters might have of of losing out the fight you know against pat um you know aj just took this fight against john was able to go in there and perform really well and i think what i liked in this is we saw him kind of testing out different things in this fight and i think this was the fight that i grabbed not only my attention but a few people's attention of he's making it look pretty easy to wear if he was challenged against one of these top guys, you know, he's telling us we haven't even seen, you know, all of what he has to show. And I think that that was just, even though it wasn't that name in Pat Curran, it was a very um, telling performance for AJ. So I want to give him my vote for knockout of the year. A congratulations for just what he's accomplished this year. And I really hope that he is taken more seriously next year and given that title shot that I believe he deserves. Yeah, the one I remember with uh, Macapa, <coughs> Macapa really came at him early in that fight, and that's kind of what you feel like you need to do against AJ. He's a big, long athlete for 145, so you want to get in his face so he can use that long range. And AJ, I want to say he defended the takedown. He kind of got put on his back a little bit, got up. There was that just wild exchange in the pocket, and he just landed that picture-perfect shot, you know, one hit to close the show. Um, I remember being very impressed, and I do remember that, yeah, this was supposed to be AJ's breakout. Former champion, somebody who doesn't go away easily, who's been around, who's got skills, who's powerful, and he didn't get that, so... I think that there is a lot to be commended for the fact that he did what you're supposed to do. If an opponent is overmatched, you're supposed to make them look overmatched. Mm -hmm. And he's done that. That was shown in the John McCoppa fight. That was shown in the uh, Daniel Crawford fight last, uh, or sorry, this month um, in Hawaii. And really, I agree with you. I think that AJ has put in so much work. And look, I get it. He is kind of in that neck-and-neck race with his adopted brother, Aaron Pico, at the body shop. And I get it. I love Aaron, too. He's another young guy doing work. And respectfully, you can, it's, just, it's just a fact. Aaron Pico has gotten showcased on this a lot. And I mean a lot of major cards for Bellator. Of course, he's getting a lot of attention. But you have to respect that AJ has been there longer. He's been putting in the work. And yes, I know it's easy to get excited about Aaron Pico. But if you ask me, I think it would just be a travesty if Bellator were to, you know, somehow get Pico ahead of AJ McKee. And I think that this is a big example of, you know, whatever it is. I think you got to give a little bit of love to a guy who I think has really been there for you. Bellator has a great relationship with Antonio and the body shop to the point that so many of their fighters 
are doing so well. They're kind of in this club trying to take over the division and the sport in Bellator that I think that to not, you know, reward the work that the first guy in AJ has put in just really would be a bad look. And not to say that the other guys aren't going to get their time to shine, but AJ McKee at, what is it, 13-0 now? Uh, you kind of it's kind of time like you keep trying to put him in there the fact is everyone at 145 looks like a journeyman so it's hard to get that former champion in there because there's so few of them available so for me um look I know Pitbull's already booked but I think that AJ needs that next shot plain and simple I feel like even if he comes up short or whatever there's nowhere else for him to go to be tested in the Bellator cage that isn't going to be another mismatch I agree. Oh my gosh, Bellator man! Like <laughs> politics of MMA. Hey, and we hardly ever have to talk about that with Bellator, so it's almost <laughs> frustrating when it comes up. <laughs> All right, so I am. So, going... G, what was your pick for knockout of the year? Oh my gosh, this one was a no-brainer when I actually looked at them. Uh, Yair Rodriguez, that back elbow at the buzzer to take out Korean Zombie. Yes, that one, I, um, so for the other site I work for, they do ask us to do the end of the year awards. And I wrote that if you run that back a hundred times, it would never end the same way twice. It was that (laughs) insane. It was that crazy. All the questions about Yair going into it, the durability of a guy like Zombie who looked fantastic. And he still pulled that out of the hat in the last second after going five rounds in a full battle. I mean, the fact that the pros and the analysts who are used to watching this were in shock. I think that says everything you need to know how crazy that was. The actual technique and the sequence itself was amazing. Um, I I just had so much love for that fight, that finish. So... I had to give this one the knockout of the year. It was just that good. Yeah, I'm so glad you picked it. And it was such a, <clears throat> just to add to that, I mean, the fight alone was great. Yeah. Um, one of the best of the year. Um, and then just leading up to it, you know, everyone kind of having a little bit of a question mark with where Yair was with all that time off. Um, you know, if ring rust was going to be an issue and then to just give us like such a brawl between these two guys and very skilled guys and to get an ending like that, like you said, like at the buzzer and to try something new and innovative and knock him out that way. I mean, um, yeah, like you said, everyone was in shock, such a great return for him, for him and really made us feel good about the UFC deciding to keep him on and trusting that when he said, Hey, I'm still going to be your star. He showed us he's, he definitely has that potential. I remember I said that, you know, that was the 25th anniversary show. And what I said was like, remember 25 years ago, people watched UFC one and said, damn, that was awesome. Mm -hmm. 25 years later, same location, and people watch UFC and you turn it off saying, man, that was still awesome. <laughs> I think that's a great way to celebrate an anniversary personally. So I enjoyed it. I know we get very caught up in the politics and a lot. And of course, because it's our job and it's what we see. I always remind people, it's like, you know what? These are still some of the most exciting guys to watch out there in the octagon 
names we love and like to watch perform. Um, and I think that fight is a good one to remind you, like, hey, you know, this is still one of the most exciting shows you're ever going to watch when they're really throwing down in there. And I like that this fight really happened on the anniversary night because I think it was very fitting. Moving on, I'm going to pass it to you once again, this time submission of the year. So I know Miss Kayla, who transferred <laughs> Bellator flyweight champion, jiu-jitsu ace, the firecracker who can take necks and break hearts, has a pick for the submission of the year, doesn't she? <laughs> well, um, after seeing your pick, I, I feel like I like the picks that you, you know, you had chosen because they were those ones that just kind of like had everyone's jaws dropping, everyone buzzing about it. Um, so I kind of went a different route of maybe this wasn't the most technically beautiful uh, submission, but I just think, again, it was um, it spoke volumes. Um, and so my pick is Tatiana Suarez with her win over Alexa Grasso. Um, I think that Tatiana was a building like her name was building. And for whatever reason, this fight, maybe it was because both ladies were were put um, you know, in competition against each other, but it just really seemed like she kind of hit her star, uh, power level after this win. And it might've just been that it was like, she was collecting this undefeated record, but I think that both ladies kind of being a representation of Mexico and Mexico really wanting and needing, um, you know, a star, even though she is American, I think she reps the, you know, um, yeah. Latin American Mexican. roots. Exactly. And, um, you know, these were two girls that were building both their names. And I think <clears throat> what I'm excited is, is I really like, like this division, of course, it's current champ. And I think that Tatiana Suarez with this one and her win after this one, um, you know, is cementing that spot to get the uh, title shot very soon, if not next. And um, I think that she is is one to really look out for. I think that she's bringing something very unique in her skills in that division. And this was just a very dominant performance. But I think what was great is she's someone that also, to me, is a very good representation of MMA, you know, a cancer survivor, how honest she is about it. I really, I, I want to credit the fighters that I think are just doing it right all around. So not only putting in the work and getting these big finishes, but also just promoting themselves in a very positive way, not really like trash talking, but just having something to fight for that people can relate to. And it seemed like, you know, her star power blew up. I know a lot of guys had a big crush on her for some reason after this win. Um, but yeah, she's just doing it well. And I think that this was one to celebrate because of all of that. She reminds us of Kayla Beatty, just brilliant and fierce. She's a little firecracker. Of course we do, <laughs> Kayla. It's okay. You're still always Thank number you, one. G. It's okay. You're still number one. Don't get jealous and be <laughs> calling her out on Twitter, trying to start beef, saying... I don't know, have to, to fight her. She's going to kick my butt. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like Alima has trained you well to prepare for this moment. <laughs> no, I know you're going I to will. start beef with Mackenzie Dern over that one time. It's okay, Kayla. You don't have to be worried. <laughs> no, but um, to talk about Tatiana, yeah, you know, that one was really the breakout. That one was really like, man, how good can she be? I think that's the biggest takeaway I had. 
I watched that one back this morning and just that uh, uh, relentless on the ground. She just was really like a spider just wrapped up and tied up Alexa until she just choked that air out of her with the rear naked choke. Um, I remember being very impressed. Uh, and I agree with you. I love how she carries herself. She's from the IE and I always show love to them. I used to live out there and I know, you know, what it's like. I used to go through Rancho where she lives all the time. And um, yeah, I got a lot of love for Tatiana and the game she's building and just that career. I agree with you. I think that she is getting there for a title shot. I think that she's something different. We don't really have someone that physically big for strawweight who has that kind of ground game. I know people talk about Jessica and Claudia and others, but Tatiana, I, I'll say it. I think technically she's like a different animal. A lot of she likes the Habib comparison. I personally think she's a little more Brian Ortega, and that's mm. still a compliment. But I think that that's really her game. She's just so great on the ground. She has good wrestling, but clearly a great submission game, which is just as key. And I think that she really, if she continues at the pace she's on, I don't see why we can't see her, especially when you consider that Nama Yunus, she doesn't really have anybody after Jessica Andrade, especially if Joanna chooses to stay at flyweight. I think that Tatiana is right there. And I'll tell you what, Kayla, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Tatiana and Nina Ansaroff and they're trying to figure out how to get, you know, one or the other into the title shot after Jessica. I think that's mm-hmm. going to be my prediction, but I got a lot of love for that one. And how about your pick? How about your pick for submission of the year? I think it might be um, the most popular, definitely the most popular, most talked about submission. Um, and, yeah, another very drama-filled press week and and aftermath. But let's hear about your pick, G, and why you picked it. So, submission of the year, I'm going to be honest. I did, went against what I usually do. Because usually what I do is I pick, on my, in my opinion, the most technically brilliant one. <clears throat> so, last year, I think it was the Ezekiel. The year before was Mackenzie Dern with the... Choke, twister, move, whatever she had. I forget the name. But, and I was going to go with Vinny Megales in PFL. He had a crazy triangle to Kimura on Rakeem Cleveland, and I started writing that. But once again, I was looking at all my awards, and I realized I was going to leave out a guy who, if I didn't give him this one, he wouldn't be getting an award. And I feel like he deserved it for the campaign he put on. So my pick for submission of the year was Habib Nurmagomedov with the rear naked choke on Conor McGregor. I think that this one really just the dominance of his performance and the fact that the biggest event of the year in MMA ended by submission and it was from a grappler who's on the next level like Habib. I had to give him this one. I had to give him props for the campaign he put on in the year he's had. So that was my pick for submission of the year. All of the hype, all of this, he hurts Connor on the feet. He dominates on the ground. And then he's able to go out there and, you know, I don't like to say choke the life out of it unless it's a little <laughs> more devastating. But he put that nice, healthy squeeze on Connor, got him out of there, got him to quit. It was just an impressive submission. And obviously, the aftermath 30 seconds later had us all buzzing. But the actual fight, it was a great technical performance by Habib. Yeah, for sure it was. And I think 
you know, there were people that were questioning whether or not um, Connor would get that quick win. And he really shut that down pretty mm-hmm. fast. And, and I love the performance too, of him just having his moment on the feet too. Um, and ending, but ending with the submission and ending with his just relentless groundwork that he's known for. But um, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was memorable for everything that happened after, but if we're actually just talking about the submission, I mean, it just looked like, you know, you just felt so bad for Connor because you know that he wasn't just receiving a beat down, a usual hubby beat down. He was really <laughs> um, put in uncomfortable, an uncomfortable situation. And I just remember thinking like, Oh my God, I hope the ref gets in there and just like stops this because you could see it on Connor's face the strength of that um, rear naked choke was, was something uh, to behold, I'm sure. But um, very dominant win for Habib. Um, yeah, I think a win over Connor. I mean, of course, there's other technical fights out there, but to have a win over, you know, the UFC's biggest star, mm-hmm. that was just probably a very important moment for his career. Maybe not necessarily to him, but it's something that's going to go down in his legacy and, um, you know, just be a big moment in when you look at his career once he does finally finish. You know how defeated he looked, Kayla. <laughs> Remember being Michael Chiesa, having Kevin Lee talk about your mama and then still <laughs> choke you out. It was worse than that, and that's saying something. <laughs> that is what that one... Kayla, it looked like did, it hurt. We'll go back to Habib. Did you know? Yes or no? Did Kevin Lee talk about Michael's mama? Yes or no? <laughs> yes, he did. No, he didn't. <laughs> we're never gonna agree on this. We have to just agree to disagree. We're gonna no. We're gonna find Kevin Lee and we're gonna ask him. Did you or did you not actually talk about his mama? I'm gonna have to continue reporting just until we can talk to Kevin Lee. Oh my gosh! You, you know that I'm gonna do it, and I'm gonna <laughs> you, I'm gonna send you the clip before I even send it to anyone else. I, want you to know. I can't wait for that. <laughs> yeah, but no, that was damn. But yeah, you know, look, Habib. Um, I, I really want to point something out is that he has had a really phenomenal year with everything that happened in Brooklyn with. Tony Ferguson on six days notice falling out and then he's going to fight Max Holloway and then 24 hours later Ally Akinta is in there after the Dolly incident and I'm like you know this is a great year for Habib and I think that he really elevated himself he has a very tough 2019 I mean Tony Ferguson is out there Dustin Poirier is out there a lot of guys really want to you know break in and maybe try to get in that spot so He's going to have tough competition, but I think that 2018 really was a year for Habib, and I got to shout it out. And, you know, I know people have some feel some kind of way about the actions that took place, but in, inside the cage, I think he really delivered, and I think you really got to commend where he's at in the history of the great lightweights because he's really been putting in work. For sure. Moving on, before we talk about everything going on this Saturday... We do have a lot of New Year's Eve action. Obviously, they have Ryzen and Darian Caldwell, Kyoji Horiguchi, um, Floyd Mayweather going to be, you know, bringing the circus to Japan and all that. But we do have one right in New York, PFL 11, the championships. 
I want to say it's six weight classes, six champions. Um, Kayla, we did show PFL a lot of love just because of the schedule a lot this year, but you follow it. I follow it. We've seen a l- enough highlights. We know people. They really, really have had quite the year. And um, I want to talk about that because obviously a lot of fights and I don't think we really have time for it. But just talking about PFL making a splash in 2018 into the MMA landscape. Yeah, you know, I think they, when the idea of PFL was being discussed, a lot of people were shutting it down, saying it had been done before and wasn't successful. Um, they just kind of um, wanted to laugh, I guess, at the the prize. And, um, you know, I think even just like, people were just questioning how they were going to put it together. And I think for their first run, though, it you know, just like any uh, organization in their first fight night, there's technical, like technical stuff that you just have to work out. I think that the fighters that they got to compete in it I think that um, already being having this much attention on you, like for your first fight night and being able to get over all the technical stuff. I mean, each time they put on one of these, what are they called? The seasons? Yeah. Yeah, seasons. Um, you know, they were fixing things. And, and I think the broadcast team was chosen really nicely. I mean, it, it was done well. Um, you know, it wasn't something that we really put a lot of focus on because there was just so much MMA going on. Um, but it's like, you know, there were some high profile fights we had to focus on. PFL might get there. Um, I know that towards the end, I had read that they had some investors putting in a good amount of money. So I feel like they're probably going to have another go at this. And, um, you know, I'm excited. I think that it's nice to just have somebody else going in there and competing and maybe eventually getting to that level of Bellator and UFC competition. Um, as far as the fights, I can't really talk even about the last couple seasons because, unfortunately, I have to admit that I've been a bad MMA reporter and fan and just wasn't tuning in. <gasps> um, but I do have to say, too, that the day, it was usually on Thursdays, was it not? Yeah. So that kind of made it hard for me, too. Maybe it's something that they can fix and eventually have it. Um, well, I don't know if they can have it. Because they compete against UFC and Bellator on those nights too. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I, I understand the Thursday thing, but you know that's that's what they they'll have to eventually work towards. Is um, you know, not everyone's going to be able to tune in on a Thursday. Um, but the fights that I did see that you know I think that they were very competitive, and what I liked is because of the incentive of the the money and the prizes and the point system. Yep. I really feel like when you have those types of point systems, we saw those fighters going for it. And whether it's just that they chose brawlers to go out or if it was the point system of, hey, I get this guy knocked out in round one, it's advancing me to get closer to that million-dollar prize. Um. And I think that that made it really fun and interesting because we saw some pretty, I mean, there are some competitors for knockout and submissions of the year in there. No, it really was. Um, I had a chance to see a bunch of them. Uh, Honey Badger in the heavyweight final is going to be mm-hmm. fun. Vinny Magales, just brilliant against a very, you know, he's kind of like Forrest Griffin 2.0 and Sean O'Connell, if you ever see him. He's just so candid, but really, you know, you could tell he wants to change his life with the money, too. 
um, there's a lot of great stuff. A lot of very high-level guys, too, that maybe because they didn't get the shine in UFC that you're not aware of, but they got a lot of fun ones. Um, Kayla, the thing that stood out to me, this year I got to talk to a lot of um, owners and presidents and CEOs of companies that are not UFC who are breaking in, and I spoke with Carlos Silva PFL. And I asked him, like, Carlos, you know, UFC is on every week and Bellator's having this year. And how do you how do you stand out in the market when people have never had more MMA? And he told me that, you know, look, it's not about trying to be UFC. It's about just putting our product out there for the fans to watch. And he really just essentially said, if you build it, they will come. And I keep using this analogy, Kayla, with all the MMA that even more now in 2019, it's like a medical drama or a cop show. Just because it's not ER or law and order doesn't mean that networks don't make a ton of money from having their own cop show on every channel. And look, just because it's not the UFC doesn't mean that fans don't like it, that they don't watch, they they don't tune in and get familiar. Just because it's not this big $4 billion pay-per-view machine doesn't mean that these companies don't make money off their MMA shows. And I think that's the thing. It's not about trying to be UFC. It's just putting on a good MMA product that people will enjoy and fans watch. There's not going to be competition in America for them on New Year's Eve. And MMA fans, if they want to tune in, they are going to have the whole night of a lot of good action with six championships. I like that they put Kayla Harrison on the card because I think that mm-hmm. she's like their budding star. I think there's a lot of hype for her for good reason. But when you put all that together, I think that that was, just shows that they figured it out. They are doing a good job. I like the promos that they have with Kevin Hart. I think it shows that they're investing a lot into building something. And I, I enjoy it. I like the people that I've met working an event and covering it and talking with them. Their fighters have been wonderful with me so far. Um, I really enjoy it, and I think that they're going to have an even better second season. I've heard they're coming back to California for more, and I'm excited All about right. that. So it's going to be a good year, but that's what stands out to me. They are building it right. They're not trying to be UFC. They're trying to be fun and different, and I do think that they have accomplished that. I agree. Yeah, so a lot of fun. And, of course, we'll be discussing some highlights from their show. Six new champions, a lot going on. Someone's going to be impressive and, you know, have us talking. So we will have that at our end of the year full recap show. So a lot of fun going on in PFL also. And then I'm sure it's Floyd Mayweather. Something's going to happen in Japan. It, it's <laughs> just, I don't know how it I'll just say it and leave it at that. But the one that we're all going to be talking about, UFC 232 this Saturday from L.A., not Las Vegas. We've already talked a lot about all that. So let's just get right into the fights with the co-main event. I want us to finish strong with John Jones and Gustafsson. So let's start Kayla, Chris Cyborg, Amanda Nunes, champ versus champ. Talk to me about the fight. Yeah, you know, this is going to be a very interesting one. Um Look, both ladies have dominant performances on their records. I I just don't, I'm still, it's, you know, I'm still a believer in Chris Cyborg that she is going to finish her career um, with this amazing, you know, um, 
streak of wins and, and undefeated. And um, I, I feel like looking at her record and just past uh, fights that maybe did go the distance, um, you know, the, the most recent one is that Holly one. And she said she could have finished that fight at any moment. She just wanted to show people that she could go all five rounds and she could go those championship rounds. Um, though I think Amanda has a shot in being the stronger, um, you know, woman in her weight class, um, having big wins and dominant <laughs> wins over, um, you know, technical girls um, that also had power. I, I don't know if I see her getting a win unless it just gets real dirty in the beginning and maybe she kind of catches her with like a short hook or something. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if I'm as confident in Amanda's cardio up at that weight, you know, like yeah. if it, I just think that that's really going to come into play that if it goes into these later rounds, I just think because Chris is a little bit more established and has experience fighting at that weight class, I, I don't know if I feel as confident in Amanda, um, you know, if it does go into those later rounds, um, being able to last with her and especially after taking damage of Chris or defending, you know, takedowns or defending clinch work. I just think that, we're really going to see Amanda kind of get exhausted in there, but I hope I'm, I hope it's not a short fight. I'd really love to see these two go at it. Um, but a knockout would be fun as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just, I really think that the weight and the cardio is going to come into play. What do you think, Jake? Yeah. To me, the biggest thing that I think about, I agree with you. Amanda is the threat. You don't be, the fighter she is without having a few tricks in the bag that I'm sure she's going to pull out and try to use against Cyborg. But to me, it's about the size and the technicality. If you ask me, Chris Cyborg is essentially a you know 3.0 version of Amanda Nunes in terms of size, skills, um, technicality, just versatility in her game. And the thing that helps out Amanda at 135 is the fact that she is so big and powerful. She isn't a high-volume striker because she just uses her physicality. We saw that with Valentina Shevchenko. When Valentina landed a lot of shots, she needed a lot. Amanda did more damage landing less because she's so powerful. Same thing with uh, Raquel Pennington. She is not going to have those advantages moving up at 145. She's going to have to be the faster, <coughs> faster striker, get in and out behind the jab, um, I don't think she should stay in the pocket. I think she should try to clinch, maybe some leg kicks, try to get this fight to the ground. I think that that's going to be the key is she's going to pull off an upset, get on the bike, chop away at the legs, and maybe see if you can surprise Cyborg and try to hold her down on the mat. Maybe not try to roll and grapple, be it Tatiana Suarez, but just get on top and just burn the clock. Try to win rounds that way because mm -hmm. get, taking too many risks against a bigger athlete like Cyborg, who's very versatile, I just don't think favors Amanda. And cardio, like you said, is another factor. Moving up, just like we saw with GSP and Michael Bisping, it can wear on you. And I just don't believe in the fifth round, unless she's already been dominating, that Amanda's going to have a good gas tank in the later rounds compared to Chris plain and simple so i do think it's going to come down to that i think that chris cyborg is going to be able to just cut off the cage check the kicks and then just against the fence let go with the punches 
Or maybe she wants to get on top and just pummel Amanda, take away any threat, make her jujitsu, you know, non-existent just with ground and pound and top top game pressure. I think that's what we could see also. But I agree with you. It's an uphill battle for Amanda Nunes. She's going to have to fight a lot differently than we've ever seen if she's going to upset Cyborg. And it has been done before. We saw DC move up and successfully win that title. So it is possible. Um, I just think, you know, it really gets difficult when you are facing a champion, moving up to face a champion that just has so much experience like Chris Cyborg does. But um, still a very, you know, it's a very important fight for women's MMA in those higher weight classes and just women's MMA in general. Well, before we give our prediction, I also want to point out that Chris Cyborg says that she only has one more fight on her contract after Saturday. And she hasn't come to terms with the UFC yet to extend her deal. And look, respectfully speaking, this feels like it could be it for Chris. It feels like, you know, this would be the last super fight. Maybe <coughs> maybe uh, Megan Anderson, maybe um, Kat Zingano, who are fighting on the undercard. But I really do feel like Chris Cyborg could look at everything and be like, look, the last one and I'm done. Maybe she wants to take on Julia Budd in Bellator. Maybe she wants to see what PFL would pay her. Maybe try boxing. But I don't think enough people are talking about Saturday night. This could kind of be that, you know, the last big major showcase for Chris Cyborg in the UFC and in general MMA, if you ask me. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I have a group of um mma fans i chat with and they keep saying you know that she's a crying wolf that they, she said this before and hinted at the wwe um you know transition and they think that it's just kind of a play to maybe get that better contract we'll see i think that they'll remember there's still no featherweights kayla it's been two years and they just finished the tough season and i think I I read just the headline of Megan Anderson giving a lot of the girls crap because a lot of them, even though it seemed like they were setting up that show to fill up the 145 division, a lot of them said that they would actually just like to fight at bantamweight. That's because they are. I know. <laughs> you know what's that? That's what's, you know, okay, the winner, Macy Chasson, great fight. Everyone's saying she's a natural 145er. She's the biggest, most powerful. Kayla, she's already said she's moving to Bantamweight. This is You know who they need to call in? Kayla Beatty? She-Hulk. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> if you don't know about She-Hulk, look her up. Clearly, I love the story. I, I'm glad you sent it to me. Uh, remind me to send you the story of Lady Killface. That oh my one god, was... I love these names. I know, I read that one and I was like, not for real? Um, <laughs> and then I was like, damn. Um, but yeah, it is another good story. She and She-Hulk would be good friends. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but no, look, um, it is, uh, it's, look, uh, I'll say it, Kayla. I think 145, unless they come to terms with Cyborg, it's going to fold. And Cyborg rides off into the sunset fighting Katzengano or Amanda, New or sorry, Katzengano or Megan Anderson, or a rematch with Amanda if there is an upset, so... I do think that that's what's going to happen personally. I, I'll just say that right now. And maybe after Saturday, we'll have a little more clarity. But right now, that's my initial prediction. But before we move on, um, I think it's safe to say we're both going with Cyborg. But how do you see her getting the job done? 
I am predicting a finish in, you know what? Let's say like the later third. TKO, do you think it's submission? I don't know. I think that it's going to be, yeah, I think it's definitely going to be a knockout. I think just from exhaustion and, and, um, you know, wearing her down. So wearing her down, maybe getting her against the cage and getting that knockout. What do you think, G? I want that. I want that a lot. I want to see a longer showcase from a talent like Cyborg. But I'll be honest. I feel like she's motivated. She hasn't talked mm-hmm. as much, but I think she really wants to put hands on Amanda Nunes. I actually predict late first round finish. She's going to hurt her on the feet. <coughs> Excuse me. Hurt her on the feet and get that TKO on the ground with ground and pound after just putting in some giving her the business for a few minutes i think that cyborg really really wants to just make this one ugly just to really get that nice healthy two-handed stranglehold under position as the best female fighter of all time so i think that's what we're gonna get late first round finish out of chris cyborg but yeah i think it's gonna be tough there will be blood i will yes for sure so that'll be a lot of fun. Um, we will, I hope it's a good finish. I'm excited to see Megan Anderson, Katzengano. Megan is one of my favorite fighters. There's a lot of good stuff. Chad Mendez coming back. There is a very sneaky good undercard, if you ask me, Kayla. So I know with all the drama, I'd like to point out to all the fans, don't punish the whole card. If you support these other guys, remember you got to retweet, even if you don't buy the pay-per-view, Show them some love because they're, you know, bystanders in all of this. So I'd like to point that out. But the show is going to close with now an even more interesting fight. John Jones versus Alexander Gustafsson. We talked about the external factors. Let's talk about the fight, Kayla. How does this one go down? I want you to start with the G. I wanted to play back, even though I recently watched this, their first uh, meeting. Again, I was just too annoyed with Jones to look at his face any longer um from what i remember from the first though is i i remember i mean it's known the fight was close yeah um, I, what i remember is that it was those championship rounds where gus whether it was a you know um he got hurt he got tired yeah exactly and i think that that's why we wanted this fight to be played back um you know sooner just yeah. because it was close. And then, of course, you know, with all the factors coming into play of what we've heard and wondering if, you know, it was a clean fight back that, back then, um, this this is a, a very big opportunity for Gus to play it back. And, of course, I hope get that win. Um, but, you know, I, I need to watch back the first one if I do decide to watch the fights tomorrow just so I can technically see what was going on there. What yeah. do you remember from the first fight, G, and how do you think that, um, you know, the second one's going to play out? Yeah, yeah. So, for me, the biggest thing from the first fight, I watched it back earlier this week, and what stood out to me was that Gustafsson was the more technical guy, and that was the difference. I mm. know that the reason Jones won was because one judge gave him, I think, round one, and the other two gave him four and five, but two and three and round one were very close, but it was Gustafsson who looked ahead to me. John and, um, or also the second factor, John could not take down Gus. 
the Gus defended about nine to ten takedowns. The one takedown Jones did get was late in the fifth. That is how good Gustafsson's wrestling was. And I think that's going to be a key factor in the rematch. I think that Gustafsson has a lot to build confidence of. He knows that he can outwork John on the feet. The trick is going to be to get more aggressive and do more damage. You want to improve on that first fight because you don't want to give John, you don't want to make it close. You want to yeah. be able to run away with the things that you did well. And I think Gustafsson is in a great position to do that. Now, you're talking about a rematch. You know, obviously the cardio late, the, you know, everything else. John Jones did look great in rallying back in that fourth round to do damage. And that's essentially what won him that fight was the heart. But when I'm breaking it down, the one thing I always say about John Jones is the reason he's so successful, he has that incredible reach. And quite frankly, John Jones' entire strategy is being unorthodox. He doesn't throw a jab, Kayla. He doesn't throw a one-two. He never does. Watch his fights, guys. He never does anything textbook. Everything is into a spin, a head kick, a flying knee, spinning elbow, spin kick, bicycle kick, oblique kick. He never throws jab cross, chop away with the leg kick. Nothing like that ever comes from Jones. It works because he is so big and long that guys don't feel like they can get in there. And instead, you're being picked apart by moves that you don't know where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. Alexander doesn't have that problem. He can catch John Jones. That's why he was able to outwork him, get in and out, because he doesn't have the issue with range. John has to be more technical. He has to set up that arsenal, because otherwise, if you're just trying to go from spin to spin to kick, Gustafsson's just going to get in your face. And I think that, Alex, that's going to be the game plan. Stay aggressive. Don't give John the space to, you know, set up all those attacks. And if you're John, you really have to show that you've grown in these years away. And you got to be able to set up that arsenal much better. Otherwise, it's going to be a very long night. He has the ability. I do still believe that. But it's all about the technicality. Gustafsson is a guy he can't just overwhelm with his physical gifts. I think that's why this fight is so close. And I think too, you know, just with time going by, people have kind of learned to train, um, uh, you know, defensively or learn it, learn, you know, take something out of John Jones's, uh, you know, playbook themselves. And um, I think just with time now, you know, I feel like Alex, after that loss, you know he went into the gym and evolved his game a little bit. I feel like we saw we've seen in his last couple of fights, even though it's been a little bit of time, but I think we saw an evolved Alex in there. Gee, how you know, John Jones obviously is a strong person. He's been through through the ringer hearing, you know, like you said, every name called in the book, all the criticism. Do you you know, there's only one so much that one person can take. Do you think that he is mentally affected by all of this stuff going on, whether it's just that he's getting shade thrown from other fighters, from fans, um, you know, the move himself and just everyone talking about him? He doesn't stay off social media. He stays on Twitter and likes to apparently like listen and, and be involved with all of the buzz going around stuff. Do you think that that's going to come into play in the fight? Um, not in the way a lot of people, I think, might interpret it. That's a great question. Um, I was talking about that the other day. And what I personally see from John Jones is 
he's kind of over apologizing. He's over saying, I'm sorry, I'm clean and, you know, looking guilty and looking ashamed. I think that that's made him look worse lately because now he's like, you know what? You guys are going to call me names anyway. So F you. He's taking that kind of approach. I think it's very genuine when you see him smirking that he's saying he doesn't care. He's saying, I don't give a damn about apologizing anymore, etc. That, to me, I, if you ask me, makes him seem more reckless. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it makes him seem a little more, uh, almost too relaxed. Like, you know what? Maybe he's trying to hype himself up to feel like the man again. And to say, you know what? I don't care about the layoff. I'm still the baddest guy in this weight class, etc. And... You know, you want that confidence, but at the same time, I feel like maybe it's making him take this a little too lightly, if you ask me. Which it's- can get you in trouble when, you know, you step in there. And like you said, if Alex just puts on the pressure. Um, so what is your prediction for this fight? Wait, I want to know about you. What do you think about where Jones' head is at? Um, you know, I think that we didn't really see it affect him with the DC um, rematch. But I don't know. I just feel like because there's this is brought up again because of you know just the energy like you said even media of saying it's one of the craziest press conferences and just the energy in there um i i agree with you i feel like for some reason he doesn't really seem to it's not like it's really like i think bothering him of of what people are are thinking um you know of if he's going to provide a good performance but i think he's kind of being a little bit too what's the word to use not even just like ignorant to it but just nonchalant too, yeah like like you said i think because he's trying to go that route of like it doesn't bother me that that is that's going to be something like you said of of just him trying to play it off too cool that I wonder if it'll throw him off in that octagon, whether it's that he starts slow, that he just kind of, um, you know, goes in there recklessly looking to get that finish and shut everybody up. And I think that when you have someone as technical as Alex and someone who I think has really evolved and, um, you know, prepared for this fight and sees that he has a really big opportunity here, I think that it can catch him and get him in trouble. Yeah, I I agree with you. And I Um, think too, I mean, look uh if you want to talk about the mma gods there's there's one way to really humble somebody and i think that this you know knocking this guy down again in this way the way he's been acting kind of almost like some karma to the ufc and you know the athletic commissions uh, this him getting a loss and and really looking silly in there would be that ending that i think all those fans that had to relocate really want you know that that is going to be a storyline. People are going to be if let's say Gus just goes in uppercut in 30 seconds and just takes him out of there. People are going to be like, yeah, that's what you get. That's what you deserve. You smile too much. I lost a lot of money because of you and blah, blah, blah. Of course, that's going to happen. That's that's inescapable with John Jones and his reputation. Um, Kayla, this is a close fight for me. Because I do think it is a very winnable fight for Alex. But I'd also like to give John his respect. This is a man who not... And nobody. DC in two tries. I know you're going to say a lot about the drugs and all that. But nobody's no, but been the able to... No, there. Yeah. Nobody's been able to get the job done. 
and I respect that a lot. This is a very winnable fight for Alex. It wouldn't be a huge upset. You know what, though? When it's one of these great guys, I just feel like John Jones, you know, is one of them. I do see him figuring it out at the end of the day. The way I see it going down, it's probably going to be similar to DC. He's going to have to go through a bit of a fire. But I do think that he's going to find his right spots. I think he's going to get Gustafsson against the fence. He's going to push him there, take away Gustafsson's reach, and maybe try to light him up with some knees and elbows in the clinch. Maybe try to get him down from there rather than trying to shoot in the middle of the octagon. But I think it's going to be physicality. He's going to try to get in his face. And I think that he's going to use a lot of short shots to try to get the job done. All right. So you're saying Jones in what round? I'm going to say about the third the third. Okay. Well, I also think this is going to be a close fight, a very competitive fight. Yeah. Um, I am just going to put the energy out there that I want. I, I believe Alex has done his homework and is going to be a little bit more calm, cool, and collected in there. And um, I think that maybe we are going to see Jones kind of break and be more of his own, like, self-destruction. Uh, um. And I think that Alex is going to be able to, uh, you know, catch on that. I'm thinking Alex via stoppage. Let's say. Yeah, I'm thinking like a round three also. And you think it's just going to be a slow breakdown throughout the fight? Um, I think it's going to be very competitive and I think he's going to catch Jones with something, kind of throw him off, give him some wobbly feet and then just, uh, be relentless with that finish. He wants that to make that statement. Okay. Well, there we have it. So we have myself for Jones. You are taking Gustafsson to get the upset and become the new light heavyweight champion. We have Chris Cyborg in the co-main event. It is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot to talk about. We have... Our show will be. Gee, afternoon. I just had a gut feeling. I'm going to say Gustafsson by submission. Oh my gosh. <laughs> by what? What kind? Rear naked choke. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Gustafsson rear naked choke in the third? Yes. Okay. You heard it here from Mystic <laughs> Kayla. She, talked, she texted Conor McGregor for his special powers and she got the job done. <laughs> So we'll see. All right. Gustafsson for you. I got Jones. We both have Chris. It's going to be a fun night. We will be back next week after New Year's Eve so we can talk about PFL Japan. We will have our picks for fight of the year, fighter of the year. We will discuss a bit of the future of MMA and, you know, the streaming, the new promotions, a lot of other stuff going on. But I have been saying this for the last three weeks or so, and this is a very difficult and I will pass it on but Miss Kayla you have an announcement to make and I know that if people follow you on social media they already have an inkling of what's going to be but let us know what's going on yes G well this will be my second to last show on MMA daily sadly but I will of course tune in as a fan Um, I've decided to no longer be an MMA reporter going into January and kind of just focus on some other passions I have, though it's been super fun covering the sport and especially covering it with UG discussing MMA, which I know we already will, um, you know, on our own 
time and through texts and, and Twitter DMs. Um, you know, it's just time for me to kind of move on to the sport. I've uh, made some really great relationships, had some great um, moments uh, working certain events, but unfortunately the MMA grind um, and, you know, just unprofessionalism um, and, and things going on in the sport, like, like this, this fight coming up. And, you know, um, I think that it's, it's very interesting how a reporter and a female reporter was, was mistreated in my opinion. Um, And just kind of being an example of, of why MMA media is a little difficult to, to keep pursuing for me. Um, so I'm going to close the door on that and just watch as a fan now. Um, of course, tune in to always catch up on the latest news and recap with Double G on TV and MMA Daily. I'm very intrigued and excited to see who your new co-host is going to be. But um, yeah, it's, it's bittersweet because, of course, I've loved discussing MMA with not only you on this platform, but all of the friends I've made in social media. And I'm so grateful for the response that everyone's been giving me of, you know, just being supportive and showing love and telling me how they really did appreciate my Instagram page. I didn't realize that that many people had actually tuned in to get news from me. And I think that um, that makes it hard, but I got to do what's best for me. Yeah, you know, um, I think the biggest thing, and you and I have talked at length about this off the air and in person, and just um, for fans who think that the only time I ever talk to Kayla is on the air, you probably don't realize just how good friends we actually are. And uh, the thing um, I always I think I remember is that when I reached out to you uh, the first time, just when we were looking to start this and we were on every day for a while because we thought, that, you know, there are a lot of stuff that happened and then we became weekly and then we moved to podcast. Um, the biggest thing is that uh, you've always pursued your passion and you've always been so passionate and energetic. And when you commit to something, you commit with your heart and you go out there and you're on that grind and you hustle. And, you know, for I think everybody who just sees Kayla slaying and you know, whether it's that two piece in her new account or whatever, you maybe don't realize just how brilliant she is and passionate she is about making this happen for herself. And um, I understand um, because I see a lot of people with MMA and uh, how they feel about it, especially lately with everything going on um, to feel a certain way about it. But what I've always loved and respected and is my favorite thing ever about Miss Kayla is that when she loves something and she wants to pursue it and, you know, go after it, she does go after it. She goes at it with her heart. And um, I know that there's a new venture that I'm sure we can talk about. And there is a whole sea of new possibilities out there. But I know I'd like us to really address it next week when we say, you know, goodbye for now but that's the biggest thing Kayla is I know that you are pursuing what your heart tells you and I you know if you're happy I'm happy and that is never going to change and that is really just what I want to send to you as we announce this for our fans and for everyone who listens and I know we do still get comments and people reach out and thank you and you know, I, I guess I want to address a few things, if it's okay, Kayla. You and I are fine. It's nothing about the show or anything else. I'd like to point no, that not out. At all. 
Yeah. And, you know, you and I are always going to be friends. We are always going to be a team. You and I are always going to be partners. And it's just, you know, we're going to be playing two different games for a while and for now. But that doesn't mean that we are not always going to support each other and that we're not always there for each other. And I think that's what I'd like fans to know as, you know, we get ready for the final page next week. Yeah, no, definitely. If anything, the podcast has been one of the highlights of pursuing MMA reporting. And I can't believe we used to do five shows. <laughs> um, that just sounds so exhausting now. I know they were shorter, but um, we really have grinded away. And it's been so cool just to see how much has done, you know, been done in these couple of years. And I think that, um, yeah, if you want to take anything from my experience or just continue to watch G's experience, when you put in that work and have that passion, like if you are interested, I have a few people reaching out, you know, asking about how they can kind of take their step to be, uh, get credentialed for events and, and start a podcast. And it's really just, you know, if the passion's there and your work ethic's there, um, you can do big things, but yeah, G, of course, I'll always support your page. I'll always tune into MMA. I don't want to completely walk away from the sport. I still have quite a few fighters that I like to watch. I just won't be as invested and involved to where it's, you know, taking up so much of my life because I have other passions, um, in ocean science that I'm going to be going after, but it's been a fun run and we still have one more show to go. So you guys can definitely tune in for that next week and then i'm sure you'll probably announce who will be taking my spot too then yes i have some things we'll be working on the show will take a bit of a hiatus after next week but you guys will be seeing the future of mma daily whether it is remains daily or we think it or we retune it a little bit but there will be some fun announcements i am speaking with certain people that of course miss kayla will always be the first to know as she Always will. But yeah, you know, as we move on, I just want to let fans know we have a very nice show next week. And we'll, of course, be talking about, I'm sure, a lot of our favorite moments that we have come up with over the last two years. And then, of course, maybe you'll hear some stuff about Kayla and I as a team. But yeah, guys, we will be recapping all of the action. We're not going to let you down. And it's not a funeral. This is, if anything, it, we are the party will always continue. And we're going to have that for you. Miss Kayla, you have a great weekend. I will be talking to you. I, I'll be texting you throughout the weekend because there, there's going to be ton to talk about. But <laughs> you have a great one, fans. Of course, we'll be back next week. And have a good one.